You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. For some health, uh, some health issues, and so would you, I, I just found out between uh, Sunday school and this morning service that the Tovars uh, have, uh, Cindy Tovar has been in and out of the ER, and uh, so she's, and they don't know exactly what is going on uh, with her, and so he, he sent me a text thinking that I wouldn't get it, but I did, and I just wanted us as a church family to just lift her up in prayer, uh, Cindy, uh, Cindy Tovar, and uh, I will pray for her uh, in a moment, uh, but please uh, just kind of think of them, uh, they're newer members in our church, and just a sweet uh, family, they've got a little little baby boy, and uh, so please, uh, please pray for uh, David and Cindy uh, Tovar. I do not know what it is like to, in a sense, kind of pick up everything that you know and uh, go to a foreign land, other than what it feels like maybe to kind of come from the East Coast, you know, to here, uh, to uh, Redwood City here in California. But when you, think of, when, when you think of the Kumar family, uh, Rebecca and uh, Ruben here, and then her sweet parents are with us. Uh, the Kumar family, they are missionaries in uh, Fiji and uh, sent out of our church. And many of you know them. Some of you are uh, brand new to our church. We've had a wonderful summer of just to seeing how God's led families here. And uh, it was great to see Luda get baptized last week, wasn't it? That was a tremendous blessing. Been praying for her. And uh, Ron's been praying for her for however many years. Ron, you're back there and our neighbor, and so such a, uh, such a blessing for that. But uh, the Kumars, of course, are uh, missionaries in, in Fiji, in the Fiji Islands, and uh, their oldest son, they're, uh, they're you know, the, the firstborn, right, Rebecca, is as tough as that is, uh, their firstborn, uh, Reuben, is getting ready to go off to college. And so, Reuben, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want you to come on up here. Uh, our church has taken a love offering uh, for your uh, for your school or for your schooling. He's getting ready to go down to uh, Golden State Baptist College right down the road here in Santa Clara. And uh, so we have just uh, taken a love offering. And this is just one of our ways of saying how much we love you. We're going to be praying for you as you are training uh, to be in the ministry. And so I'd like to give you this love offering. I also would like to, to, to pray over you here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we uh, lift Reuben up uh, before you. And uh, God, we just ask that as he is uh, embarking on this uh, journey of being trained in the Bible that uh, Lord you would uh, that you would just encourage him never been away from home never uh, just all the all, all the newness of what that will feel like and God I pray that uh, Lord that he would realize that your grace is sufficient for him uh, as he embarks on this journey I pray that you uh, would just teach him uh, the just the, the the lessons that Lord he needs to learn and Lord that you'd use him mightily even while he's in college here I know how much uh, his parents will miss him dearly, and uh, all of his siblings. But God, I just ask that you would, uh, that you would just be with their family and the uh, emotion that goes along with this. And uh, Lord, I just ask that uh, that you would get the glory uh, for all of this, and uh, just our small token of love uh, for him. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you're welcome. Take your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter number six. Mark 6, as we have been in our journey on the book, just going verse by verse through the book of Mark, and we've entitled the series, uh, Jesus, uh, from the book of Mark, 
and uh, I'm thankful that you're here uh, today. I hope that you will enjoy some time on this holiday weekend. Hopefully you have a day off tomorrow uh, to enjoy, uh, enjoy your family. And uh, please be, be, be in prayer uh, for uh, the Kumars, just the, uh, the anxiety of that. I don't know what that's like. I've got a 13-year-old, and uh, I'm kind of scared already uh, about that of college years. But just be, be in prayer for them and uh, that he'll have a uh, wonderful year there. Mark chapter uh, number 6. And uh, we have, we've been in this journey now. This is the crazy, the 21st message uh, in the book of Mark. I don't know how many there will be uh, before we are finished with it. I don't want to lock myself into uh, to any number because I don't know exactly how long it is going to take. But uh, it has been it's been a wonderful journey. And over these months, we started at the beginning of the year. It's a privilege uh, to be able to teach and preach uh, to people with open hearts, for those that have a hunger for the gospel. And I've entitled this morning's message, I'll read the text here in a moment, but I've entitled it, unperceived grace, unperceived grace. And my prayer is that you and I will leave here later this morning, probably a little bit later this afternoon or early afternoon after the 12 o'clock hour with a greater, with a greater understanding, with a greater, um, a greater eye for what uh, grace actually looks like and what it, and what it feels like. But what I want to do this morning is I want you to mainly get you to think about one thing. And if you are seated here this morning and you are a Christian, if you have been, uh, been saved by His grace, which we uh, just sang about, if you have been uh, forgiven by uh, the mercy uh, that is found in Christ, if you've, been, um, you know, if you've been washed by His blood, I want you to realize that not only have you been forgiven, and not only have you been welcomed into this wonderful relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, you have been called to a brand new reality of living in a different way. And that life is what we would call a life of faith. Now I want to pause right here for a moment. Faith is not always natural for us. Doubt is more natural. Anxiety, right? We've been talking about that at 10 o'clock in our series. Anxiety is more, is more natural for us. Uh, looking over the fence that everything that other people have is a little bit more natural. Hoping that your week coming up, that we'll start with a holiday tomorrow, will be a predictable week. No one wants any, any shocks this week. We want, we want it to be the same, so to speak, as last week. We're hoping that storms never come. That's, that's natural for us. Lying at bed at night and playing all the what-ifs is natural for you and I. Trusting our own strength and our own wisdom comes often natural for us. Relying on our track record, relying on our experience is natural. But faith, faith isn't natural for us. Faith is counterintuitive. It's, it's radically different than often the way that you and I live, but we've all been called this morning as believers, and if you're not a believer, I pray that you will listen intently this morning, but as believers to live out a life of faith. Now, I want us to think about this question this morning. How is it that God crafts us into 
people of faith. How does, he, how does he craft us into that? How does he make us into the kinds of people who do not live by experience? Kinds of people who do not live by personal or collective wisdom, but live by this distinctive, radically new way of living, which is called faith. Now, I want to say something to you that's going to appear a little bit out of context, but it will make sense as we spend two weeks in our text of Jesus walking here on this water. But here's what I want to say. There is a huge difference between amazement and faith. There's a huge difference with that. Growing up, we always went to, my brother and I, we had season passes to a theme park called Magic Mountain. It's down in Santa Clarita, uh, California. And how many of you ever been, have you ever, any of you ever been to Magic Mountain? It's crazy down there. But we grew up going down there, and we used to ride all the rides. But there was this one particular ride, and it was a ride called Slingshot. And here's what they would do. They would take a person, and they would put him in like this kind of harness, and there was this machine that would pull them, I mean, like just way back. And I mean, just they didn't have to do it themselves. Praise the Lord for that. But this machine did it, and then it would kind of, the, the, the ground would kind of sink down a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know what it would do, right? It would just, you, you don't know when it would do it, but it would just, whew, and you would slingshot. I mean, it seemed like thousands of feet in the air. I don't know if that was the case or not, but as a kid, I saw that, and it was just crazy. I think you had to pay like $10 for it. I mean, how insane is that? You paid to get in, plus you had to pay to do this. And I'll be honest with you, I stood there, and I was amazed by it. I mean, this ride, it wasn't even a ride, you had to pay extra for it. It was amazing. The first time I stood, stood there, my brother and I, there was like an eating area right there. We got our food, and we just watched person after person after person just get slung out, you know, out into the, out into the open. Now, I can tell you one thing for sure. No one was strapping Ryan Johnson at any time to that, you know, to that seat and ever was going to fling me. How many of you would ride a ride like that? Any of you? Hey, some, some of y'all, y'all are crazy, you know that? There's a huge difference between amazement and faith. Because I'll tell you what, I didn't have faith that those things could hold me. I mean, I saw multiple people, it was good to go, but I just, I was standing and I was amazed by it. But there was a difference between the amazement of what these disciples were seeing in Jesus Remember, we, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and just this awe, just this amazement. But there is a difference between amazement and faith, and that's going to play itself out over the next two weeks. And if you read the Gospels, you know that the disciples were not naturally men of faith. So Christ, what he would do is again and again, he would introduce the disciples to some kind of difficulty. And in that difficulty, he would reveal his glory. And it was an attempt to alter their, their paradigm, so to speak, the way, that, the way that they would see their life. There is a gospel equation that goes through Mark. And let's see if you can, let, let's see if you can remember it. This is going to be a, a huge tale on, uh, on how well I taught last week. But divine power plus divine compassion equals, anybody remember? One. What, what is it? Christy, what is it? One more time. Everything you need. Oh, bad teaching last week, I know. Divine power plus divine compassion. Aren't you thankful that Christ has all power and he's sovereign? But that sovereignty apart from his compassion would mean only damnation for you and I. 
But His divine power that we've seen all throughout Mark, coupled with His divine compassion, is in, every, is in doubt everything that you need. So let's begin to read our text in verse number 45 of Mark chapter number 6. And straightway He constrained His disciples to get into the ship. Remember what they've just done. They've just fed 5,000 plus people. They've got their, you know, they've got their uh, 12 baskets full of food. Straightway he constrained the disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he said, while he, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had, had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I want to stop right now, and I just want to have a moment of prayer. Father, we come before you, and we have submitted ourselves for those few minutes under your word, and under the sound of, uh, of your word, and Lord, I pray that as we lean into it, we lean into uh, even the difficult questions that might come our way in a text like this, that, Lord, we would realize that, that Your Word is strong enough, Lord, to, to handle our questions. Your Word is strong enough and Your grace is strong enough to handle our doubts. But, Father, I pray that there would be this germination of the faith that is within us and that we would walk out these doors in the next 30 minutes or so with a stronger, deepening faith because of who You are and because of what You have done for us. And Lord, I ask that You would take anything out of my notes that You would not desire for me to say. And Lord, I would only say that which would be for Your honor and for Your glory. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So in this text of Mark chapter 6, we find the disciples in another one of these moments of, of difficulty. They're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. They're facing this impossible wind. They're, they're facing just like this, the angry uh, waves of the water there. It's dangerous. It's exhausting. It's discouraging. It's this kind of, just kind of a futile type of moment. They're rowing and rowing. When you, when you look at the time clues within the text, you will, you will find that these disciples have been rowing for potentially six to eight hours on the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of, kind of one of those things of just null effect. Everything they're doing, they, they, they just can't, they can't fight the wind. And one might ask themselves, you know, what, why are they in a situation like this? Did they, did they disobey? Did they do something wrong? You know, is, uh, what is the reason? Well, you look at the very first verse in verse 45 that we looked at and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And so Jesus was getting ready to send away the people. What were the people? Well, it was the people that were sat down in fifties and hundreds, and they all were fed from the, you know, the bread and the fishes. 
right? We learn from John's perspective that it's from this little boy, but he's sending them away. He's been teaching all day long, and now he tells his disciples, I want you to get into a ship, and I want you to go onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they're in this mess. They're exactly where Jesus wants them. They're not there because they were foolish or arrogant or proud. They're there because they were precisely obedient to the command of Christ. Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. Now, when you read that, you ought to say, and it's okay to say, Scripture is strong enough for you to say and for you to lean on to. Why would Jesus ever want his children in this kind of a mess? Why would he ever expose them to this kind of danger? Why would the King of Kings, why would Jesus ever expose his followers to this kind of fertility? Way beyond their strength. Way beyond their wisdom and their natural abilities. I thought he was a God of love. That's what you say, Pastor. I thought, he was a, I thought he was a God of mercy. I thought he was a God of grace. I, I thought that he protected. I, I thought that he provided. Why, why, why? What is up with this type of text? Well, Jesus knows something about these guys. He knows that they are often self, you know, kind of self-righteous in and of themselves. He knows that often these men are, are committed to their own plans and, and, and what they're wanting. Didn't we see that last week? Remember the, the rest that they were promised? You remember how they even see an opportunity? Hey, these people have been here all day long, Jesus. We need to send them away so they can get food. Why? Because uh, we need to get this rest. I mean, I'm reading between the lines, but you know that's what they're doing, right? That's what I would do. And Jesus said, all right, well, you see this problem. Hey, I want you to feed them. And so, of course, they feed him. And now he tells him, hey, I want you to go on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he puts him smack dab in the middle of this just kind of just this wind of a storm. And they've been rowing for hours and hours and hours. Why would he do that? Jesus will take these men where they have not intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve. On their own. Let me make a statement. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Listen, if that back table, which is for mops, I encourage you ladies to sign up for that. First meeting is totally free. Enjoy the, ch the child care for that. Learn about what it's all about. But if that table in the back was not a sign-up sheet for mops, which, by the way, ladies, looks beautiful, awesome. And it was simply just a white sheet of paper that said, hey, sign up for difficulty this week. I guarantee you it would be empty. Now, sometimes we got, like, super cool activities, and it's still empty because we forget by the end of church, right, to sign up. But that's not the case. This one here, difficulty this week. <laughs> Normally, I, if, it's a, if it's a setting where I get to go, I don't get to go to this mom's setting, but that's okay, and I'm thankful for that. But normally, if it's a setting that I get to go, before I put the sheet out, I'll put my name and I'll put my phone number. Guess what? I wouldn't want to sign up for that one. But God will often put you in a place that you would not sign up for 
because He intends to do something in your life that apart from that difficulty that you would never have signed up for, will He be able to accomplish in your life? See, if you and I had it our way, again, what would we want this week? We'd want smooth sailing. We would want to be able to predict everything. But no, God will often take us to a place that's a little uncomfortable. You want to know what the Bible calls that? Grace. Grace. Oh, it's not the grace of relief. (laughs) It's not the grace of release. Oh, we get that sometimes. But most often we get the grace of radical transformation. It is the grace of personal rescue and heart refinement. God's grace is not always a cool drink. God's grace is not always a nice soft pillow. God's grace is not always a circumstantial deliverance. I think there are many times when we cry out, where is the grace of God? And it is indeed the very place where you are where you are experiencing that grace. I want, you to, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You've listened well. I, I know it's warm. I'll, I'll try to hasten with this. You and I, you and I, me as well, and you, we need to become very committed and very skilled in the communicating to one another about the theology of uncomfortable grace. You and I, we need to be able to, to, to articulate this. When someone in our, in our body, someone, you know, we're, we're a body here, and when someone is hurting, and when someone is aching, You and I, we need to be able to articulate this theology of uncomfortable grace, that this is still the Lord that is working in their their life. Sometimes I believe we come along and we mean well, but we preach to that person an anti-gospel. We begin to tell them, ah, you know, we begin to say, ah, I wonder if God is in this situation. What did you do wrong? Listen, the disciples did nothing wrong. Because the grace of Jesus comes to us in these types of forms. But it's still grace. Because in that moment, grace is doing something inside of you that you could not possibly do for yourself. And so if you are God's child here this morning, you must not name the difficulties of your life as a sign of God's unfaithfulness to you. You must not allow yourself to bring Him, the sovereign God of the universe, into the courtroom of your judgment where you begin to judge whether or not God is caring and loving. You and I cannot listen to the cruel lies of the enemy that will whisper in your ears and say, where is your Savior now? Where can, why isn't He helping you now? Because those difficulties are actually amazing evidence of the zeal of God's redemptive love for you. He is desiring to just shape you. You've not been forgotten. You are actually being loved. And it indeed is grace. The question for all of us this morning is not, will God lavish His grace down on me? That's not the question you should be asking. You shouldn't be wondering that this morning. The question that you ought to ask is, will you recognize it when it comes? Not will it come, but will you recognize it? 
Will you understand it? That's the question. We see in verse number 47 of Mark 6, and when even was come, now listen to that, when even was come, one of the indicators there, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land and he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. Hours and hours of toiling. Walking upon the sea and he would have passed by them. Listen, walking on the sea. Jesus is walking on the sea. Hey, you all are way too passive this morning. Walking, walking on the sea. That's awesome. There are two significant theological observations you must begin to ponder when you, when, when you hear that Jesus was walking upon the sea. First off, we see that you immediately know this is the Lord God Almighty. You immediately know that. This is the Messiah. This is the King. This is the Creator. This is the one who literally controls all of His creation. He is the Lord of all. You don't need any more evidence. The very first time that Jesus took a step on the water and He didn't sink, you know, hey, hey, this is the Lord God Almighty. This is, argument is done. This is the sovereign King of kings, the one that he's been preaching all through the book of Mark, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one that Isaiah was talking about, that all those scriptures are fulfilled. He's saying, this is me. And the moment you see that. Now I'm troubled with how I can read these passages and I'm unimpressed. God forgive me. And I'm also troubled that you and I are not always blown away when we see the words, hey, he's walked on water. Before you read the Word of God every day, and I, would, I, I really hope that you do, I would ask you and I'd encourage you to pray, God, would you open up my eyes to see the glory of what I am about to read? whether that's Old Testament or, or, or that's New Testament. God, would you open up my eyes? Paul prayed something similar to this, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, is how he worded it. But you and I, listen, the Bible is not just a routine that we do. The Bible is actually supposed to be a relationship. You and I, we're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to find a relationship with God. It's not just something that good Christians do, and it's something that we ought to do, but it's not a checkpoint. Hey, hey, I read my Bible for the day. Reading your Bible is a means that God has given us of encountering himself. Don't just master the Bible. Allow the master of the Bible to master you. And so he, he walks on the sea. I, I should almost just be quiet and just let the glory of that he walked on water. And we wonder if he cares for us. How many of you have walked on water? There's a second observation, number two. Jesus desires change in his followers. Listen, this is a key to understanding this whole passage. The minute that Jesus begins to take the walk. You know what he has in mind. Because, hey, 
I want you to, I want you to stay here with me. If all Jesus wanted to do in this moment was to relieve the difficulty, he didn't have to take the walk. Couldn't Jesus have been praying and said, when be ceased? Right? Do you remember another time when he was asleep in the back part of the ship? We've looked at that here in the book of Mark. Remember the disciples, they were terrified. They were feared they were going to die. I mean, legitimately, you and I would be too. Don't you care? And what does Jesus, you know, we see the interaction. He wanted to have, have an awe and reverence for him. And then he says, peace be still. Remember, he just muzzled his creation. So he could have been on that hillside far away, seeing his disciples down there struggling. He could have done, he said, that's not what he does. The Lord is now walking across the angry sea into the impossible headwind that they've been struggling for hours and why does he do that? Because he's not after the difficulty. He's after the people in the middle of the difficulty. That's what he's after. That is redemption. That is sanctification. That is, that, that, that is grace. Now, I've got a little confession to make for you, and it's somewhat of a sad confession. When I'm in one of these moments... You know, I'm not always, fa you know, I'm facing something that I can't handle. I'm not always like, yippee! I, I, I should be honest with you, I, I'm not always like that. I don't always hunger for this change. I don't always hunger for this, for this hard sanctification that God is trying to bring in my life. I just want it to end. I'm, I, I, I'm kind of like, you know, God, you know, if you love me, can you end? Right? Like, quit looking at me like I'm the only one that does this. Right? Why don't you see if you can relate with this? We don't sing in the midst of, midst of our horrible storm, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's a reason why that Mike doesn't have me on his team, right? That was false humility right there. I apologize. Yeah, we're not saying, hey, redeem me. Hey, 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 sanctify me. Keep, keep, keep working on me. No, no, we, no we, we don't do that. We tend to, look over at other people's lives and be like, man, well, God, why, why, why are you blessing them and you're not blessing me? Jesus, do you love them more than you love me? Why now? Don't you know what I'm going through, Jesus? Right now, th th this, is, this isn't a good time. This isn't a good week. This should not have come right now. Way too much for me to handle. But this is how it works. He's after you. He's after you. He's not after your difficulty. He's after you. He is much more committed to your salvation being perfected or being matured or it working itself out, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, than he is of just taking you out of your problem. He's not signing at the bottom of your wish list. Be assured, your Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's not doing that. Because you and I do not have the sense enough to desire what is best. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? The fact that He does not enslave Himself to us, that He does not covenantially, with, with a covenant of our salvation, okay, now I'm going to enslave myself to every single thing that Ryan wants, I am so thankful that I have not gotten every single thing that I've wanted. Can I get an amen there? Wow, God knows so much better than me. 
And so you've got to understand the scene up until this point. They fed the 5,000. They've got their 12 basketfuls. Maybe that's why they're not making their way across. Who knows? Extra weight. Headwinds, angry seas. Jesus is... (laughs) Jesus has kind of been watching it going on for hours. Hey, let, it's okay. Ask the question. Why would he do that? It's okay. Fourth watch, late at night, comes walking along, takes the walk, doesn't just fix it. That's the scene. And up until this point, nothing has changed. The wind is still blowing, the waves are still crashing. But the Messiah is now taking the stroll. We see in verse number 48 at the end, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit and cried out. I don't have the rest of what what I want in there. Look at verse number 50 in your Bible there. Hopefully you've got it somewhere. For they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. But it's so unique here when, when, when you look at the text that, that they, all, they all saw him. It's, it, it's really important to understand. It's important because you and I, you know what you do? We, we preach to ourselves all the time. We never stop preaching to ourselves. You hear maybe one sermon a week or two sermons a week up here, but you speak thousands of sermons and messages to yourself. You're always defining. You're always interpreting your life. No one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. No, it is true. You and I, we we do. We talk to ourselves. Okay? Now, you and I, we've learned how to talk to ourselves. We don't move our lips and we don't walk around while we talk to ourselves because someone might look at us and they might think we're crazy, right? But we talk to ourselves on and on and on and on. We, we, uh, we, 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 we're constantly talking to ourselves. But the things that you say to yourself about you, about God, about life, those things are all profoundly important. You and I, you never, you never leave your life alone. You're always interpreting and you're always picking it apart. So I want you to hear me. I'm going to say this last thing and then we're going to close and we're going to pray for Carla. You will either preach to yourself in these moments a gospel of aloneness, inability, partiality, and poverty, or you will preach to yourself the true gospel of the presence, power, and grace of Emmanuel, God with us. I've got more to say, but I'm feeling impressed upon the Lord to kind of just kind of close our service down and to, to pray for Carla. But, 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 but listen, if we were to continue down through this text, you and I, we would see that, that these men, they don't, they don't fully get it. They don't fully... They don't fully understand. But what you and I, what we need to realize is that the difficult moments of our life, listen, the difficult moments of our life are still the grace and compassion of God because He's still working on you. He's still working on you. And so don't shy away from that. Don't push away from that. Instead, say, Lord, 
in this moment of difficulty, I'm not going to preach to myself of, that I'm alone, because you're never alone. I'm not going to preach to myself that, that, I, that I don't have the strength, because in Christ you do have the strength. You're not going to preach to yourself in this moment that I don't have the wisdom. Why? Because I have the wisdom of Christ. Preach the true gospel to yourself. Every head bowed and every eye closed.